If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Hebrews chapter 13? We're going to look the next two weeks that I'm preaching. I'll be gone next week. Brian Goff is filling in for me today. He is filling in for Chris Cook up near Orange, so he's staying busy. But Lord willing, he'll be with us next week. And then the following week, which is January 9th, I will conclude our study in this uh, particular chapter, but we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 13 in just a moment. I'll be reading from verse 1. You know, over the years, we've had a number of people who have come into our church, and then God has moved them to another part of the country. In fact, uh, for one season, it seemed like we would have a lot of people employed at Hamden Sydney College that would come and they would be with us for a season and then God would move them on. One of those such persons was Chris Bell. Chris and his family attended our church uh, back a number of years ago and Chris was always a great encouragement to me and is when I have the opportunity to speak with him. Actually, have known Chris for over 35 years. He and many of you know Eric Brown and I were involved in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. I know Renee and John worked with IVCF and that was significant in my life. I developed a friendship with Chris and Eric uh, during that time. And so Chris, we, we graduated, he left the area, but then he returned, I guess about a decade later as he was employed at Hamden Sydney College. And if you know Chris, you know what I'm saying. Chris is always a strong, confident, positive person. And this fact is probably best depicted in how Chris would always close his voicemails. If I called his cell phone and did not get him in person, right at the end of that voicemail, he would say, make it a great day. Now, I thought about that. Before I ever heard him say that, I always would close by saying, have a great day. But Chris said, you need to take control of the day. You need to make it a great day. Making is intentional. Take responsibility of that day. Now, as we prepare for a new year, and I'll be honest, uh, I believe the last three or four years I've not had the opportunity to preach this particular week. Usually I take it off. And so I've not had the opportunity really to challenge the congregation as it goes into a new year. But I want to encourage you today, make it a great year. There are a lot of things in this coming year that we cannot control. I understand that. There's so many variables. But there are certain things that we can control. And we're going to look at some of those today in Hebrews chapter 13. In Hebrews chapter 13, the writer is basically concluding this epistle, giving strong counsel. And he's imploring his readers to live godly and intentional lives. And so the theme as we begin this two-week study, again, this week and two weeks from today, is going to be this, godly instructions for a new year, and for that matter, for always. Look with me at the first seven verses of Hebrews chapter 13. The author writes, let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality for by doing this some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. 
Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them and the mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. Marriage is to be honored by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives. Imitate their faith. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this what seems to be shotgun variety of instruction that spreads and covers a number of areas. Lord, we know that should we summarize all of these commands we're looking at, it would be this, live our lives this coming year in a way that's pleasing to you. I pray you would speak your truth in these moments, and I lift this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the context for Hebrews 13 is this. We do not know uh, for certain who wrote uh, the letter to the Hebrews. Now, a lot of people and a, a lot of uh, people who have theorized about this have said, well, this person wrote it or that person wrote it. You may have a strong opinion as to who wrote this book, but no one can confidently say we know who wrote this book. Some people would argue based on style this would have been the author or based on the time or based on the content. They may say, I believe this person wrote it, but there's no clear evidence right in the scripture uh, who wrote this. I mean, you know, Paul in his epistles uh, to the churches in the New Testament would often say, I, Paul, there, there's not that here. We looked a few weeks ago at Hebrews chapter 2. If you remember, I believe it was the last Sunday in November, we were looking at um, the superiority of Christ in Hebrews chapter 2, how he is superior over Moses in the law, superior over the priests, how he's superior over the angels and over all created things and persons. And so really, if we could summarize uh, the book of Hebrews, basically it would be this. Jesus is the greatest. He's the greatest. Everything that's said up really to this point points to the greatness of Jesus. But there is a little turn in Hebrews 12 and 13. Not so much uh, denying what's already been established, but there's a change in focus now. Basically, once we establish and understand who Jesus is, what does that mean to us? And so it shouldn't surprise us here in Hebrews chapter 13 that he closes this epistle by giving us instruction, by, by directing us. How am I to live? What am I to remember? What am I to act upon? Today, we see these commands in the first seven verses. Next time we're together, we'll look at uh, verses 8 through 18. But I believe that we can take some instructions from this one chapter in, in the Bible and begin to establish some guidelines for living in 2022. How am I to live in 2022? Well, I want to look at four things in these seven verses today. The first is stay connected to the local church. 
Verse 1 says, let brotherly love continue. This speaks to Christian love among fellow believers. And there are two things to note. They were already doing this. He says, let brotherly love continue. But they also were to keep doing so. There's the present tense, but also the verb says that they're continuing or to continue to do that. Love is strongly related to connection. In other words, it's true that distance can separate loved ones and that love can still continue. Maybe you've had a family member who lives across the country. Maybe you've had a family member who lives in another uh, country itself. Maybe somebody who's in the military. And geographically, they're not able to connect with you. And we understand that. We can still love them and do. But apart from a case like that, we would think it's strange if someone lived very close to us and we never connected with them. In fact, we would think it's strange that we could love someone close to us yet not be with that individual. One of the most important things that you can do this year is stay connected in the local church. The devil desires to isolate. That's his desire. In fact, whenever you look in the scripture with Adam and Eve, the temptation, he separated one from the other. Jesus himself, when he was driven into the wilderness by himself, he was tested in isolation. Adam and Eve, they were tested and tempted in isolation. And that tells us that it's important that we stay connected. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. It's a familiar verse. And it says, not neglecting, just three chapters earlier, to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Verse 24, let us watch out for one another, provoke love and good works from one another. What is it saying there? We need to stay together. Now that's simple instruction, but it's vital to your growth and my growth this year. You and I are to be recipients and givers of love in the ministry of the local church. We're to be beneficiaries and benefactors in the ministry of the local church. There's really a twofold responsibility and blessing that we have, that of serving the Lord through the ministry of the local church and that of being served and being ministered to through the local church. But specifically, there's also another uh, command that's given in verse 7. And the writer says, Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives. Imitate their faith. I have mentors in the ministry. Some of them have gone to be with the Lord. Some of them are still here. In my uh, book where I pray for them, I put this verse and I write it down. I, I record it and as I look at it and pray, I try to follow this admonition. 
And, and what it's saying is that we need to remember Dr. Tommy Lee, who was one of my mentors earlier in my life, who's gone on to be with the Lord. He wrote a commentary on this particular verse and actually this entire book. And in it, he said that actually he believes the author was imploring people to remember those who had gone on to be with the Lord, reflect back on their lives. They may not have been with you then, uh, but keep in mind what they shared with you. That word remember is used often here in verse 3, remember those in prison. In verse 7, here it says, remember your leaders. Those are two different words in the Greek language. In the first, remember means to be mindful of. We're to be mindful of those who are underserved, those who are going through hardship, those who are in prison. But here the idea in, in verse 7, remember, speaks to being mindful of calling to mind, thinking on, reflecting upon. And he's saying, remember uh, the example. And then after doing that, he gives two further commands or two further ideas as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives. In other words, he's saying, don't just bring it to your mind, but actually go rehearse Carefully observe the outcome of their lives. Observe their conduct. Observe how they present themselves. Observe their outward comportment, which is representative of their inward faith. We're to meditate. That word carefully observe is the word from which we get our, con our English word theorize, which speaks to deep thinking and meditating. But then after he says carefully observe the outcome of their lives, he says, then imitate their faith. Every single one of us should have a mentor, a spiritual mentor. And as we observe that spiritual mentor, we should study their lives. We should seek to emulate their lives. As I said, I've had those in my life. I have those who have gone on to be with the Lord, like a Dr. Tommy Lee or a Dr. Bill Tomlinson. I've had others who are here now, a, a Willie Green, a Gene Mims, a Ben Lehman, and others. But every one of us needs a Paul, speaking of ourselves as a Timothy. And, and there are those of us, too, we need to be a Paul to those who are Timothys. And so we need the body. And so really the writer of Hebrews here is imploring us to stay connected in the fellowship. But the second thing is minister to the needs of others. Again, that's simple, simple instruction. It's not profound to be sitting in a church the last Sunday of the year and as you look forward to the coming year to say we ought to minister to others. But really what it's talking about here, specifically in verses 2 and 3, is that we are to be others-centered. And the order really for us is this. We need to spend time with God this coming year, and we need to spend time for God. We spend time with God by gaining the strength and the knowledge and the power to minister to others. And then we go out and we spend time for God. I shared uh, this uh, past week 
uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, how I believe it was a business meeting last Sunday night, and how the parable of the Good Samaritan has really been speaking to me for the past few months. And I think of the priest and the Levite, who you would have expected to have stopped and ministered, but they didn't. They passed by on the other side. But then the Good Samaritan, he stopped. He met the immediate need. He took time with the individual. He came back and checked on that individual. We need to pray, Lord, give me such a heart in 2022. Allow me to see the needs and to meet those needs. And I believe God will do it. If we go into this year and we have a desire to truly minister to others for God's glory, God will direct us toward those people. And here in Hebrews 13, the author gives a couple of examples of such ministry. One is the ministry of hospitality. Notice what he says in verse 2, don't neglect to show hospitality, for, I, for by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Now, I'm not telling you that you're going to go out and you serve this person. You're going to be ministering to an angel. We do know in the Bible that Abraham ministered to angels. But, but the point is, when we serve someone, we don't know who we're serving. We don't know what that person may go, be going through. We don't know the potential of that individual. And the focus is that we need to have a heart to serve others. Uh, this word hospitality is interesting in light of the days in which we live. It's the Greek word philoxenia. It's made up of two Greek words, philos, which means love, and xenos, stranger. If you're like I am and you've listened to the news over the last couple of years, you've heard the word xenophobia and you probably have had to go into the dictionary and find out what it means. But basically xenophobia is fear of strangers, fear of someone different from me. But the Bible calls us not to fear those who are different, but we're to love the strangers. And hospitality carries that idea. We uh, shared in Sunday school, and John shared uh, so poignantly in our Sunday school how uh, when Mary and Joseph found no place to stay, the, the idea in that day was the inns were sort of seedy. They weren't really nice places to stay. And so often when festivals would happen, hospitality would occur. You would open up your home to individuals who were strangers to you. Maybe they shared the same faith, but you did not know them. You've not met them. And so the idea of hospitality is that of not just opening the home, but opening homes to strangers. Being hospitable is meeting the needs of someone, but not just the people that we've always known. It speaks of getting to know someone and serve someone who you haven't previously known. What a goal for 2022. Lord, make me hospitable. In other words, make me accommodating. Make me serving those who are new. That's how the church is to serve. But not only that, he speaks to ministry of the un or to the underserved. To those who are going through difficulty representative here in verse 3 and I believe this is just a representation the list could be more exhaustive but he says remember those in prison as though in prison with them 
In other words, the ministry to those who are in prison. Now, uh, because of COVID, you probably are not going to be able to actually go in and visit in a prison, but there are opportunities to pray for individuals who are incarcerated, to reach out, to to carry out uh, a letter-writing ministry to these individuals. But he says, not only to those who are in prison, but those who were mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering bodily. In other words, that same attitude of Jesus is Jesus was taking upon himself all of the ridicule and all of the pain. He was saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. In other words, Jesus put himself empathetically in their situation. And so as we seek to minister in 2022, not only should we say, Lord, make me hospitable, make me open to ministering to new people, but also help me to minister to those who truly have a need and not at a distance, but with empathy, actually feeling what they feel. Lord, cultivate in me a heart for ministry. But then there's a third command Keep your life free or or pure. Keep your life pure, rather. Verse 4, marriage is to be honored by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterers. Marriage is an institution of God. God saw that it was not good for man to be alone. He created woman. He created the two to become one within the institution of marriage. In verse 4, we see that marriage is to be honored by all. That's the first command. But then the marriage bed is to be kept undefiled. That means untainted, not stained, not tinged, not dyed. In other words, in regard to the offerings of the Lord, it speaks to that which is ceremonially clean. In 2022, we as a church and individuals need to resolve to honor marriage, and there are two groups who are to do so. First, the unmarried. You say, well, preacher, it's saying marriage is to be honored by all. It's speaking to the married. No, it also speaks to the unmarried. Because at the end of the verse, it says God will judge the sexually immoral, which has to do with whether in the institution of marriage or outside, and adulterers, which specifically has to do with the marriage relationship. We're to resolve to honor marriage for the unmarried. Do not divide another person's marriage. Do not entice one to commit adultery because in doing so, you yourself you're committing adultery. The idea here is that we're to honor marriage, so if you're not married, you're not to be involved with someone else's spouse. But also, if you're not married, the single person is to abstain from sex outside of the institution of marriage. It's not just old-fashioned, it's biblical. You say, well, God's a killjoy. Why has he created something that's so enjoyable, but he's restricted it to marriage? Because God's God and we're who we are. He knows. He created it. He knows how it works. You know, I love kickball. I used to play kickball. That's where I think I began to be competitive was as a child with kickball. 
Now, wouldn't it be strange if the teacher were to say, okay, kids, we're going to play kickball. And right in the classroom, she puts the bases around the classroom. You stand up to kick in the classroom, and you start to play kickball in the classroom. That would be foolish. That teacher probably wouldn't keep her job. Why? Because there's a time and there's a place for kickball. The place is outside. We would not play kickball in a sanctuary that had stained glass windows. That would be ludicrous to think we would do so. We wouldn't roll out a kickball in the middle of an inner city street in traffic hour. Why? Because it would be dangerous. It would be harmful to us, to others. Yet people will look at sex and treat it trivially and say, I'll just do what I want to do when I want to do it. There's no parameters that are set. And there's no wonder we have so much confusion in the world. God sets the parameters for sex. So if we're not married, we're not to hinder or, or divide anyone who is married and commit adultery. And if we're not married, we're to live in such a way honoring marriage. If you're dating someone, treat that date as if you yourself will one day marry, or even more, as if that person you're dating may be married to someone else. Treat that date in such a way that 20 years from now, if you're not married to that individual, you can walk in the grocery store and walk down the aisle with your head held high because you treated that individual rightly. But the command is also for the married. Stay faithful in your marriage. Grow in your love and commitment. There's so much restlessness today. People feeling like there's got to be something more out there. The problem is we're not watering where we are. The grass is greener, not on the other side, but where we water. And so if you're going to honor your marriage this year, you need to take steps to honor your spouse. And I don't have time to go in as deeply as I need to go. And we will do this at some point in 2022. But avoid pornography. Avoid it. Avoid it like the plague. It is destructive. It will damage you. It will, it will affect your future. And only by the grace of God will you be free from it. And, and there's no way that you can honor your marriage now or honor your life if you remain single for life or honor a future marriage if you're caught up in something that disregards something God created. Marriage is to be honored by all. The marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and, and adulterers. But then there's a fourth command. Live a contented life life. Sounds easy, doesn't it? We don't often do that. We're often saying, well, God, if you'll just do this, or if I just had that. The first three areas that we've looked at this morning are relationally, staying involved in the fellowship with the body of Christ, with other believers, ministering to the needs of others, to those who are going through difficulty as if we were going through difficulty with them. Marriage, honoring our spouses, our future spouses, other people's spouses. Honoring. But this deals not with people, but possessions. 
as I enter a new year, what's to be my attitude? And the writer is clear, very simply put, Jesus before possessions. If we're not careful, our possessions can capture us. Now, this is probably a good message for December 26 because we probably all got a lot of new toys. But those new toys by next Christmas will probably be at the bottom of the toy box. Possessions can compete for your allegiance and my allegiance to the Lord. Literally in the Greek, you can look at it, verse 5 begins, without the love of money be. That's what it literally says. It adds be, understood, but it speaks to without the love of money. Let me tell you a little secret, though. You'll need money in 2022. Charles Shorter, who was a former proprietor of Shorter Funeral Home and passed away when I was young in the ministry, sometimes I would do funerals for people outside of our congregation and the family might give me an honorarium and I would a lot of times reluctantly receive it. I just didn't feel, you know, they were in a time of need. I didn't, and Charles would say, Rick, when you go to Food Line, they're not going to say you're a preacher going through and you get all the stuff free. He said, take the money. So I, I took the money. We need money. And hopefully we'll have money, but we don't want money to have us. That's what it's speaking there. It's not okay for money to have us. It's not okay for possessions to have us. And this can be dangerous because things can creep into our lives and begin to take over and, and, and bring out more concern in our lives than the things of the Lord. Paul writes, godliness with contentment is great gain. He says that in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6. And we could stay on this subject so long. I mean, as we look at uh, verse 5, be satisfied with what you have because he has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. What is that saying? You have all you need in Jesus. He's going to take care of you. And verse 6 is a testament to that. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? What a great thought for 2022. Is Jesus, I'm going to put you before possessions. The one who's unchanging, I'm going to trust you to care for me. And I'm going to be a good steward of what you've blessed me with. I want to close this morning's message with something I found in a book of new illustrations that is really a misnomer because the book is about 60 or 70 years old. I believe it was written maybe in the 50s. But in this illustration, it really brings out the attitude that we should have as we go into a new year, as we look at these commands about keeping our possessions in proper perspective, about honoring marriage, whether we're married or not, about ministering to the needs of others, about staying connected in the local church. All of these things, they matter to God. But there's a, a, an illustration in this book, just one request, and I wanted to read it. It says, Dear Master, for this coming year, just one request I bring. I do not pray for happiness or any earthly thing. I do not ask to understand the way thou leadest me, but this I ask, teach me to do the thing that pleaseth thee. I want to know thy guiding voice to walk with thee each day. Dear Master, make me swift to hear and ready to obey. And thus the year I now begin, a happy year will be if I am seeking just to do 
the thing that pleaseth thee. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for these portions of Scripture that give us varied commands that center upon this one thing as we go into a new year, that we would live in all of these areas in a way that pleases you. Father, if there be any here today who have yet to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray this hour that they would realize the greatest gift ever given is the gift of grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. Father, as we go into this new year, I believe it's going to be this coming Saturday. Lord, I pray that we would resolve to stay connected in the ministry of the local church, that we would resolve, Lord, to minister, to cultivate a heart of empathy, to find new people, Lord, that you may allow us to serve, that, Father, we would seek to honor marriage whether we are now married or not, that we would honor the institution and not misuse it in such a way that would defile it. And, Father, I pray also that we would use our possessions that you give, understanding that everything we have is from you, that we would be good stewards and that we would trust you place you before our possessions this year. Father, we love you, and this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.